G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan that hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. All right, well, we'll, we'll kick off this um, this episode. So we're, um, we're going to do something a little bit different. We've spoken about forests. We've spoken about gear. We've spoken about getting out and about as Queenslanders trying to figure out where to go hunting and how to go hunting and those sorts of things. And we'll continue doing that. But um, as we've sat around, or I've sat around a number of campfires over the last, I don't know, decade or so, at least half of those has been with um, our guest tonight, which is, uh, who is Andrew Day. So welcome to the podcast, Andrew. It's great to have you on board. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great, great to get here. Um, so the reason I've invited uh, Andrew to come along today is to talk about um, a lot of the mental health aspects of the great outdoors, of hunting, of the pursuits that we all uh, cherish. And I think it's a really, well, it's a really good time right now to be talking about it, given so many of our friends uh, in the hunting industry are, are locked up and, you know, um, hiding from COVID or being told they can't get out and about. And mental health is a real issue right now. Um, we're talking about it a lot at my work. And uh, it's it's certainly top of mind with all of our teams that we look after and things like that. So it was a good opportunity to to really extend on that, and um and and dig into a little bit of the the detail around um, what it means to us and and why we get out there and do it. And who knows where this conversation will go? It's it's a very interesting one. Um, so um, thanks again, Andy, for coming along. And uh, like with all of our guests, um, I guess the best place to start is all about you. You'll get the spotlight for a few minutes and then it'd be great to hear about, um, you know, a bit about your work life and your out of work life, um, your connection into hunting and, you know, we're, we're ADA members, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's listening as an ADA member, but certainly some of those, um, the benefits of being part of a group like that um, worth hearing about. So, uh, I guess I'll just start at the beginning. I uh, am... am I'm employed by Queensland Health as a psychologist and a team leader. And like you say, the current climate and the impact on mental health across the board is becoming more noticeable. Um, I wasn't always into psychology for work. Um, in a previous life, I was in the military. And before that, I did quite a few other, uh, I don't know, lower complex sort of positions around the my local community so nothing too serious but in the end when I left school I was hell-bent on getting some life experience with a view to enlisting in the military specifically to get a second language that's ex where I wanted to go it's where my main interests lie and I had always harbored an interest in psychology as a profession, but didn't really understand what that might entail. So I pursued my first interest, which was getting a second language and 
getting deployed across the greater world there to find out what goes on in other countries. And when I transitioned after 10 years to back to civilian life, like that transition for me was pretty good. And I stepped straight into a number of different roles in my working life there that I enjoyed more than my pre-military working life. So I did some personal training. I was working at the Department of Child Safety. I worked in the mental health industry and did that while I was completing my university studies and eventually picked up some work with Queensland Health and private practice. And I've not really looked back on that. But to keep it more relevant to tonight, like how I came to find myself interested in hunting, uh, I grew up in the country, lower socioeconomic situation. We did hunt for some of our food periodically, and that was really good. We grew a lot of our own food. We harvested our own animals on the property, and that was interesting, difficult at times, you know, as a young person to realise that you're kind of not eating the same things as everybody else. But I reflect on that time now as being quite influential on my take now. Um, I didn't always hunt with a bow, but I did pick up a bow in my mid-teens and really enjoyed that um, because it was harder. Um, I think most people can learn to shoot a rifle fairly easily and get reasonable accuracy without getting too technical or shooting at great distances. And I found the physical element of the archery to be pretty interesting. But like most teenagers, I drifted away from that and ended up doing lots of other things. And when I discharged from the army, I went back to it. And I went back to it with just the idea that I would just see how it felt to pick up a bow again and see what that's like. What I discovered, though, (laughs) with my education being somewhat improved after completing a degree or two, and my experience of uh, the military was that the two went together really well. So I found using the physical element of archery and the mind game that comes with shooting well, really good for me. And so when I then pursued taking the archery from a target situation to a hunting situation to go back to where I came from, that experience really brought home to me the benefits of spending time deliberately with intent, as I say to Ian, walking with intent in nature gives you something that you don't get elsewhere. And I've really enjoyed that process. I'm a better person because of that. And it's not because I'm out there shooting animals every other day. In fact, I don't often shoot animals. You talk to Ian, when we go hunting, I'm saying, well, look, I don't have to do the shooting. I want to be part of the eating though. That part's really awesome. And, but for me, that sense of connection that comes with the total package that hunting gives us, that's where the action is to feel better and to perform better and to have better brain function and to be more emotionally together than I was without it. And I think that's where it comes, what it comes down to for me. So I've done a lot of reading about it because it's a firm area of interest these days. So I feel like I'm, I'm more well educated on why that's so, but yeah, that's where I come from. And It's better done with others. Sure, there is definitely space for hunting on your own. It does give you something unique. But hunting with others as part of a club or a small group or friends, actually, that's much better for us, I think. And I enjoy that process of sharing it with other people more 
than I do hunting on my own. So being part of the club is great. How's that sound? Good. Yeah. Bit of information I've, in there, fellas. I've got oh, yeah. so many questions. I've got way, Mark. questions. Hopefully, I have some answers. Uh, look, <laughs> what I there was, you know, it was there was a couple of things there that you said that resonated. You, the way you described them, um, this idea of hunt, you know, with intent. Yep. I, I, I think one of the, the most difficult things that we have as hunters to communicate to someone who doesn't hunt is the idea that you are in nature with intent. Yes. You are not a tourist. No. You're, there. you're not shopping. You're not shopping. You're not a not tourist. Browsing. You're not, there is, there's this, it, it, there's, I don't know what it is, and I don't know how far it goes back, and I don't know which part of the brain it turns on, but there is a sense of intent that you do not get from other activity. Okay. Um, and I don't I like know if it's, and I don't know if the fact it's because it's so serious. And this is something I've wondered about the the with fishing, for instance. Fishing has moved to very much a catch and lease model, and if you look at fishing, I think anyway, it's become much more of a sport and a participatory sport. The way it's packaged, the way it's all to have fishing competitions, it's all about catch and release. And I sometimes wonder if they lost what the intent of fishing was in the first place by turning it into that kind of activity. Mm. With hunting, you can't, we can't, there is no catch and release here. You know, no. we can't do that. And I, I always wonder if the intent and the driver of that intent comes from the fact that this is such a serious business. So, what do you think about that? A lot. <laughs> I think a lot about that. So it's interesting to hear you hone in straight away on which part of the brain does this affect? And is it because it's serious that we have this thing called intent? So is it okay if we unpack that? Well, let's, let's, let's unpack. I think, okay. I think we just need to have a clock here because this could go for some time. Last time oh, I did okay. this, I went for an hour and a half and I'd barely scratched the surface. Like, it's a big topic. This is so Just to give you an idea, so, Mark, I read a lot and I've covered the brain function part of hunting better now in the last 18 months than I had previously. So now I feel like I've got at least an idea, but I've scratched the surface only. It's complicated and I won't have all the answers. The last thing I picked up to read about this, I had the book in my possession for six weeks and I got through 80 pages with a dictionary to help me understand what. <laughs> What's he saying? But I can, I can do a good summary. So the interesting point you said, which part of the brain is this about? Actually, it's all of it. And that's why it's good. So I want to bring a term in. It's called lateralization. And that is the switching between sides of your brain, the left and the right side, and a well-lateralized brain is better for us. It's quicker, it's more efficient, we make better decisions, it's better. So people, some people with a learning some learning difficulties, they often have a less well-lateralized brain. So that means it's a good separation, one side does a function better than the other, and that's great. But for some people, there's competition between, so the switching and the pathways aren't as neat. Hunting, 
amplifies that lateralization and it gives us a method to slow down our emotional responses, which occurs mainly on the right side, and engages that right side in its functional best, doing nature, looking at the big picture. So talk to me. When you go hunting, you scan, you look, you're taking in information with your vision, all of your senses, your hearing, your your sense of smell, all of it, that's really engaging. But how that switching occurs between the right side and the left side is really important, especially when you're hunting. So the bigger picture is taken in by the right, the finer detail is processed by the left, but when we get emotional outside of that hunting situation, our emotion is generally on that right side and it can confuse us, stop us from performing, gets in the way of making good decisions. And the modern sort of world that we're living in, it's really charged with heightening our anxiety levels, giving us a, a you know a high levels of, of anger. All of that stuff stops us from having that good separation between the left and the right. So... You ever said something when you're angry that you didn't really mean? <laughs> well, that's everybody because that's what we do. That's because the right side is... Yeah, that's right. That's because the right side's really bossing us around at that point. We need a bit of left influence. But the left side, is, it has less emotion. It's analytical. It takes what we've already learned and processes that. It's slower. So it has a real place. But more so in the modern world, it is becoming more and more dominant in our everyday. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in our brain that gets in the way of us really enjoying our normal everyday life. What hunting does for, from what I understand, is it actually engages our brain as it's meant to be engaged for that period of time we're hunting. And so it gives the right side its proper job. It allows room then for the left side to do its proper job and it actually all comes together really neatly. Does that make sense so far? It, look, that that makes so much sense that it's actually, you know, I think we need to package that up. That is so, you know, because, I mean, like you say a lot of things when you describe hunting and, and the, the linkage between what you just said and those kind of things. Like, for instance, I reckon when you go hunting, it takes like a day to get the city out of you. There's actually research to say it's a three-day effect. After three days, you're home and hose. You're in the clear. The city's gone. <laughs> well, it's because, you know, so you, it, it takes some time for your, for your nose to start working again, for your hearing yep. to start being, you know, to, to function properly. Um, the, old, the old joke was, you know, on the first day, the, the animals, you know, they, they, they bolt as soon as you approach. The second day, they're a bit wary. The third day, they actually walk up to you. You know, you, you seem to it takes a period of time to immerse yourself or and maybe it's not immersing yourself for you to be immersed yep. uh, you know that's it for these things to for all these things to fire to line up and fire properly it, it's quite possibly you know it, that that's a great way of describing it the fact that you know you're using this this idea of lateralization where you're saying it all comes together because you know that you hunt you know, I, people talk about, for instance, um, I think I mentioned it last week, you know, I, I hunted a particular block for three months. In reality, I hunted that block for about 45 seconds. 
the three months was just prepare, preparing me for that 45 seconds where it all came down. And even then, it, it probably was shorter than 45 seconds, that compression of everything into that, that all that time and that energy came to that point. And I suppose at that point, it would have been interesting to be, you know, dragging an ECG around. And uh, that'd be an interesting thing, wouldn't it? Having an ECG on you when you see the animal, what happens then? Actually, you know, does, does, you know, what happens then? Now that you mentioned that, getting some, what they call an fMRI, the functional uh, magnetic resonated image, if you could do that, that'd be bloody awesome. So yeah. what you said was actually really, really good to hear. So what I hear you say there is that as a hunter, you put effort and time and planning and organization and resource into achieving a certain outcome. So what I say is hunters are organized. Hunters make plans. Hunters look to the future. Hunters review their actions. Hunters spend time making sure their gear works. They practice. They get skilled. They use all of those higher order thinking functions with a deliberate intent to go and spend time in nature. It, it is. And it's funny that all that effort, I mean, from a monetary point of view, you know, you would never hunt. You know, uh, that deer in the fridge is like about 6,000 bucks a kilo, surely. I agree uh, not uh, to talk about money. Right. <laughs> but, but the interesting thing is whilst you all you do that, and that's true, you know, your gear, your range, time, all of that thing. And um, if you're not successful, it doesn't have, you know, you could be in a different kind of, if you put that much in, uh, uh, say, if you invested that much time and money into a share investment that didn't pay off, you'd be probably, you know, you'd be chewing your cud for a long, long time. You speak to a hunter who's done all that and you had to go, yeah, mate, sorry, sorry, animal, just didn't pull the trigger. Correct. And it's, and it's not like, and it's so the the effort, I think, is what's really interesting here is all that effort and all that higher order, and it's, it's true, it's higher order practice. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to equate to an outcome. And I That's read right. today, actually, now I think about it, there's something in the on, on the ABC, and it's only a headline. I haven't read the whole story, but they're talking about one of the the athletes who said, I trained for four years and I lost it all in six minutes and how much that hurt. You don't actually hear Hunter saying that. No. no. So this is an interesting thing that is actually a real pet topic of mine. You don't have to get an animal to succeed at hunting. Actually, often, and in my case with the bow, I have more time getting close to an animal and not even knocking an arrow because it's just not the right thing to do for that moment in time. Or I don't see anything, but I get the benefits of all of the other stuff that goes along with it. So thinking back, like there's another element to this and that's your progression as a hunter over your lifetime. So if you think back to what it was like hunting when you were younger, you were desperate to get an animal and you were crappy or you were frustrated that you didn't get the animal. That changes. With time and experience and practice of what hunting really is, it doesn't matter. You don't have to get an animal to have a successful hunt or the benefits of hunting. Mostly, the best hunts I've been on are ones where I didn't get the chance. 
In fact, some of the funniest stories are the times where things have gone haywire with the luck element that hunting also has. And that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Look, I, I, I totally agree. Um, there is that, I don't know, as you said, it's, it's, is it, is the progression as of the individual as a hunter. Um, Interestingly, I didn't hunt till I was in my late teens, early 20s, because I didn't come from that environment. So I didn't come, you know, it wasn't a part of my life. Mm. So, uh, and so, and I've only been a member of the ADA for just over 10 years. So deer haven't been a big, before that it was, you know, pigs and, well, it's pigs. Um, so that progression has been, you know, I don't know, I don't necessarily think that progression is, is uh, time-based, I think it's experience-based. Um, you know, I think you could get to that point. Yeah, I don't think you have to be 50 to get to that point. You could, you know, it's about the experience that you have and the um, the type of hunting you do. Certainly, you would assume that if hunting for you was basically, uh, you know, and not to say there's anything wrong with it, but if hunting for you was, you know, spotlight rabbits, or, or ruse or deer or whatever it is, you're going to have a different approach to hunting than someone who, you know, is 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 hunting during the day, is hunting areas that they don't quite understand or they're learning. And so the challenge of that part, I think, is 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 really important, which, of course, gets down to the value of public land hunting because public land hunting is, you know, is roll of the dice. Yes, that's right. And it's interesting that in what you've just said that, like there's part of me that goes, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but hunting at night with a torch or a spotlight or whatever, well, that's shooting to me, like you're going shooting. <laughs> and for me, there's a there's a, a line between that and hunting in the way that I do hunting. And I'm not being, I'm not saying this is elitist and we should change terminology, but for the meaning of what I'm, what I like to do, it's totally different to that. So it's this other thing that, I put into a basket that says, if I'm going hunting, it's with the intent of putting something in the freezer for me to eat. And I'm going to do it as, you know, within this way. I I would normally class things like spotlighting as actually, well, that's shooting. Because really, you're not really hunting. You're just kind of driving around and you're using a torch and you shoot stuff. But that's probably just being a bit flippant or blase. And I don't want to undermine or take away what other people do. That's fine. And that's what other people do in that, that space. That's their decision to make and how they want to talk about it. Like you say, it's a different perspective. Perfectly fine too. But for me, that part about it that brings with it the complexity of the activity is primarily about the mindfulness approach to getting the benefit regardless of whether I get an animal. Look, this idea about... I think we should really talk more about this idea of mindfulness because... Um, you know, and this idea is you're not talking about a remedial activity. You're actually talking about a growth activity. So you're not talking yep. about if, you, if you've got a problem, take up hunting. What you're saying is if you want to grow, you know, this is an opportunity for you to grow as a person. Yep. It's not about catching right. up. It's about leapfrog, you know, bounding forward. And I think that's – and mindfulness and, and the associated um, approaches that I think are very – important here because that's what you what to me it sounds like you're saying is this actually kind of makes you better it doesn't yeah, it makes you better as in, in from, a point of, from a point of no you're not sick this is how you get better no this is this is you're saying you're good this is how you get better from good yeah that's right so 
you know, before I said people who go hunting, they are skilled, they practice, they get organized, they make plans, they look to the future. That's about growth. That's about changing what you're doing or adding to what you're doing to make a goal realized. So goal setting, planning, looking to the future, they're all actions people take when they want to get through difficulty. You could be having difficulties in your life. It doesn't make you mentally unwell or struggling with your mental health. Your life is complicated. And we benefit as a species from doing this activity because it helps us get perspective. It helps us, helps us clarify our thinking. It helps us manage our emotion. And it certainly helps us with that higher order function that we often don't get time to do for ourselves in the modern life. We spend a lot of time making plans for work, making plans for family, making plans for others and spending all of that time. But actually, we're missing that part that's for us. And particularly for blokes in the modern society, we don't get a lot of time where having emotion is allowed. Having emotion and having other men help you with that emotion is possible. When you go hunting, that happens. You're going to have that moment in time where you feel frustrated and your blokes around you are going to give you a hard time for stuffing it up, making you feel a little bit humbled, bringing you back to earth because you just did something really awesome. Like All of that engagement is really positive for us. You said before, just to add, I don't want to miss one point. You talked about progression and time and experience. That's a pretty interesting topic there that I want to come back to at some point about younger hunters and older hunters sharing their space, mentoring, and how much benefit that is for younger men. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And I, I, the only thing I'd add to that, the plus would be the benefit it is to older men. Oh, of course. It, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a mutually beneficial um, and look, I've had the opportunity over the last few years to take my son hunting, and I know that that created. And I've got a, you know, got two boys, and my, it's my oldest. I haven't had my, my youngest hasn't come with us yet. He's not ready. He doesn't. So we're not pushing it. It's not like a, it's not like a you know a family command. But I'm letting him come to it. My youngest, my, my eldest son had has come to it a lot earlier, or a lot with a lot more enthusiasm, but. I know that when that happened, if if you look at the progression of my hunting, that's uh, a, a generational or fundamental change in my aspect the day that my son came with me. Um, and I'm you know on a fundamental level, there was a change in my aspect, and I know from that point on, how I viewed hunting became very very different. Mm. Um, simply because you know there was that that there was this I don't know I'm not sure if it's rite of passage, if it's engagement, if it's a purely a learning environment, um, safety aspect around it, the fact that you know you're doing something serious, um, maybe it's all of those things combined together, and you know and maybe it is that kind of um, you know that reptilian part of our brain that says you know this is something that ha has happened for a very, very long time. And you're now you're now part of that. I'm not sure if that's it. But certainly there is, I think there is a, there's a great value for everyone to have 
a combination of of you know legacy or mentoring or coaching or whatever you want to call it within the hunting community it's 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 fundamental i think it's a, yeah you go it's a step in the middle of that as well like i i think you've almost leapfrogged one one part of it just because of the way things happened there with your son um but the way i looked at it changed completely when i started mentoring others and this mm. was through the ada and taking new hunters and you know being part of that planning and testing and shaping of that person into taking their first animal um, changed the way that I looked at hunting completely and mm. more often than not now, I'm, more, I'm more than happy to just let that happen and, and be in the background every now and then I'll get overly excited and I'll take over and I'll, I'll shoot anyway but that's that, that's that's by the by but and and my young fella he's three so he's come along to a, to a hunter's camp or two now uh, just to participate in that not really the hunting side of it yet because you know he's, he's very young but um i can see that my my aspect will change completely when it's a generational handover of information that is quite different to mentoring someone that's in the club so there's there's, there's three stages there, there's certainly and um with my son so my boy's only eight so he hasn't actually hunted yet but he has been on active hunts. So, you know, so the next progression will be to actually move towards that skill-based approach for him. But at the moment and for the time being anyway, because I'm in no rush to develop this, um, it, you know, this is really going to go his own pace, is that there is that, you're right, you know, there's these kind of tumblers or building blocks that, you know, or gates that open up as you progress along. And the big gate for me was, you know, him coming along and uh, being there when I took my first animal. And when I think about it, the way that actually happened was fishing led to hunting. So the concept that fishing equated to an animal being prepared for food was pretty much a part of their life pretty early on. You know, there, there was no mistaking of the, 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 you know, the progression from animal to food. So hunting then became because you know some of the criticisms is how or how can a child handle that kind of you know seeing that and uh, well in a lot of parts of the world a child of my age is the guy doing it you know yep. <laughs> not handling right. it not viewing it they're the ones you know they're the ones doing it so there's uh, and I remember there's a famous uh, there's a famous uh, drawing of you know basically not much more than toddlers in um in uh, in Inuit community with you know a piece of whale blubber in their in their mouths and they're and they're soaring at it with you know they're soaring at it with their own knives and they're, they're two to three years old they feed them so that's how they're feeding themselves rather than a than a spoon with a you know in a bowl with you know cartoon characters on it they're sitting there with a bit of whale blubber and a knife and they're feeding themselves so <laughs> we're not all, we're not all that bad my son will chew on a tomahawk steak uh without without a cartoon bowl <laughs> that's all right but andy how if that then you know, you talk about the um, the kids that are coming into this. How important is it that they're getting those connections into early hunting or early outdoors in their development and growth? Because they're stuck on couches. You know, the 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 family of the past is not the same as it used to be with with modern living. Um, That's right. How's that? So look, there is shed loads of research out there that supports all of the things that you guys just said genuine hardcore research my own experience of looking at at, at that information is that 
we are well and truly disconnected from where our food comes from. And that's partly the reason we have such opposition to things like hunting or taking animals like fish for food. Actually, like you guys, my two daughters have helped me process deer on the kitchen bench, you know, three and six years old at the time. And getting in there and actually removing cuts from the carcass and talking about when we're going to eat that. That whole process of being reconnected to where our food really does come from, that has a lot of value, not just for their development, but also for what the value the food has. So I've talked about this before in other settings that we eat less meat as a consequence to my hunting, not because I don't take animals, but because the value of that has, it has more value. So I'm going to eat less of it to make it go further and I have more appreciation for the effort that it takes to get that from the paddock to the plate for my family. The other thing that you kind of touched on briefly about whether, like how that progression and handing over of information between, you know, younger members of your family and the older members of the family, and there's that progression, that change, that maturing and growth of a young person to an adult, and then like that passage of information. There's some interesting research about how we function when we're doing that activity with others. So, and just to hark back to the brain connection part, and that's why, and I'll get back to the direct question you asked there, Ian, about how that's important for children and that progression. So when we engage in the activity of providing for others, that actually makes us have a higher level of empathy. And so in a modern society, managing empathy is actually really important. If you don't do empathy well, you either have too much of it and you make emotional decisions left, right and centre and end up in a world of confusion or you don't have enough and everyone thinks you're quite hard-nosed. So having a, a level of understanding that provision of food through activity together for others actually manages our emotion and our ability to have good, manageable, reasonable empathy because there's a purpose to it. It actually makes sense. So there's research in America where they're using First Nations people's approach to living to help violent offenders. So they're giving people an opportunity to live as they were in a Native American tribe where they have to go and get their food, they have to get their wood organised for a fire, they have to cut it, they have to source it, they have to provide for others in their small community. Those people have lower rates of recidivism, which is reoffending rates, and in the long term, and the, the outcomes stick. So there's a lot of interesting research about the positive effects on how we think about ourselves and how we engage with others in that provision of food or joint activity to get resources for our family, which is sounding very tribal, but you know, that's what that's about. So in the development of a child, being exposed to getting organized, making plans, learning to use your eyeballs properly in a natural environment, learning to use all of your senses, learning what that smell is, learning which parts of the in the creek is better to take water from, learning all of that physical nature activity, that's what our brains really need to develop well. Does that sound okay? Like that makes sense? So as a young child, the, if you've got someone who is skilled at that, guiding you, not telling you how to do it, but giving you opportunity to do it for yourself, that's actually really important. 
It teaches safe risk-taking. It teaches experimentation and tactile engagement with our environment that you can't really replace with a TV. So when you put it all together, what we're talking about sounds like to me, get your gear organized, take your kids, give them an opportunity to engage in the environment, get food organized, understand where that comes from and value it for what it is. Dinner, food, not something that's put their restaurant quality every single time like they do on the telly. Like that, there's, there's a lot to be said about how those things go together and how what we're seeing on the te- like on a screen regularly isn't really reflected in what life's actually like for the majority. Yeah, I, I cannot I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, the, the the whole it's actually quite challenging in a lot of ways. I think the fact that this whole focus on food as an outcome rather than the process of you know, so the the various cooking shows. And, uh, and 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 uh, the overemphasis on the presentation and the cooking, rather than where that came from, it's almost like yeah. it's it's almost becomes magical. You know, there's just these wonderful ingredients, and there's just the, all these things, and so you have this ability to create and create and create, and voila, there it is. So you know, there's the greatest whatever it is in the world. Yeah, and, and, you, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure that's really awesome. That's great. That's totally amazing. And not every meal has to be that. <laughs> you know, food's about sustenance. <laughs> and and that, you know, to a point where it's a competition, and, and but, you know, but to kind of throw it back the other way, you know, some of the, if you think about one of the, one of the, you know, things that people who talk about the benefits of hunting and, and the historical content of hunting talk about, you know, the cave art, you know, the fact that one of the first um, or the oldest cave art we have is of hunting. Um, and you can argue that art in itself is probably the one of the earliest expressions of a species move beyond worrying about today, you know. You can't draw and, and create if you're worried about, you know, your existence in the next 12 hours. You have to have an ability to kind of have a to have the brain function that allows you to focus beyond today to be in the right place where you want to start creating art, you know. It's, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can't can't have self-actualization if you're worried about your food. So you have to be in a – a species has to be in a a certain developmental phase before it starts to create art. So art's actually a pretty good indicator of the species development. The interesting thing is the art – that exists in cave art is not of eating. Mm. You know, it's not, it's not a fireplace with 12, 15 people sitting around it eating an animal. It's about the pursuit of that animal and how that was far more important than the consumption of that animal. And I think that's a really interesting, you know, I think I always think about that, you know, you don't see cave art of someone eating. You see someone, cave art of someone pursuing food. Too many gardens. That's right. That's right. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's right. No, no pictures of salad on that there, Wall. That's <laughs> right. Well, well, even if there was salad, what it would be, you would assume that would it be the harvesting of salad, not the, you know, the, not the tossing of salad. You know, it's not like, you know, there's a, 
That's it. It's about the fact that there was a harvesting or, or the the gathering. You know, you were a hunter gatherer. You weren't a you weren't you weren't a, you know you weren't a presentation specialist. Right. And I think that's really important, you know, that that the one of the one of the challenges, I think, of modern life. And I think one of the things that hunting answers that challenge so well is that we do have an over, you know, food has become a kind of a it's a bit of a pastime. You know, it's so readily available. We don't really worry about it at all. We, what we worry about now is the quality and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's become it's become less important. And uh, and what hunting teaches you is that you know gonna you know I know this from personal experience from two weekends ago, you know carrying that deer out took some effort. Yes, <laughs> but it's good effort, right? <laughs> That's right. And like there, there is there is literally a video of me falling over, you know, and I, I hit the ground and, and I just kind of go, oh, well, that's it, you know, up you get. But interestingly, when you were doing that that complex activity of getting organized and getting your deer and then having to carry the sucker out again. Did you have a thought at any point during that carry out? Gee, I should do some more exercise. <laughs> I often do. No, no, I didn't. Uh, I, 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 I was, there was other things on my mind, but I didn't think, gee, I should be. Brain, you know, brain I, function was slowly, you know, <laughs> falling apart as you were exerting. Yeah, I, I don't, I, no, I didn't. I didn't think about. I didn't actually. I, I didn't question my fitness. I questioned how. Yeah, you know, I questioned a lot of things, but I didn't question my fitness. I, I why you didn't shoot one by the truck? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Why, why didn't I tip one out of camp? That would that that was that might have been a question, but I didn't question my fitness. I, I must admit there was a lot of things that were going in my mind, but um, I was too much in the. I think I was far too much in the space to actually worry about anything other than what the space I was in, you know, because it was right. wasn't an easy That's carry. That's what I want to hear. Did yeah. you hear what you just said? Yeah, I yeah. was right there. I was right then. That, that's what hunting gives you. Mm. Look, so, and I used to, the, where I first really started to become aware of that was when I, uh, I got back into fishing with a very good mate in my uh, what, late, 20s i think i was we got into uh he he was he was new to queensland and um, we were working together he was a, a very keen fisher i had fish but I hadn't fished for a while and we got into fishing um on friday evenings down on the on the gold coast seaway on the rock wall and we would be there for like six hours and one you wouldn't know it was six hours until you realize the tide had gone out so you know the physical environment had changed and People would say, "How do you stand there for six hours? Don't you get bored?" And I, and I, you know, the answer was, "Not even, not even, even boredom doesn't even get close to to existing." You know, it, the 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 concentration that went down that that leader line into the water was absolute, and you don't do that. You know, there was no part of my job where for six hours I was completely focused on the subtle movement of a fishing line. So let's talk about that because that's actually a really good entryway into what these activities do for mindfulness. So we've bandied the term about mindfulness, this, mindfulness, that. What, what is it? So for my interpretation and how I run mindfulness for me, it's about giving your brain the opportunity to see what it's doing, to become aware of what it does, and to act accordingly. So not getting stuck in the past, not 
thinking about the future, but just letting your brain do what it's meant to do for right now and maintaining headway on that. So if if you think about when you go hunting and you go stalking for an animal, you are using your, your vision, you're scanning, you're filling that part of your brain up with activity. You're using your sense of smell, your sense of hearing, and all of your sense of touch. So all of that is coming into play. Separate to that is you are walking with that intent, and I'm using the word slightly differently here, the intentional movement of your body. So you must be aware of where you're putting your feet, whether or not you're going to flap your arm and swat a fly or you're going to keep it really still, whether or not you're going to turn your head fast or slow to take a beat on a a new angle because that movement, sense of movement and animal scene movement above everything else, like all of that comes into play. So you must pay attention. So your ability to maintain attention over a long time frame actually takes a degree of mindfulness that you don't get from meditation. The moment you find yourself drifting and thinking about something else is the moment you should have been paying attention because that's when the deer nick off. (laughs) So I was hunting with Ian just a little while ago and there was a few of us. I had a moment probably 20 minutes beforehand where the hunting felt awesome. There was four of us. Everyone was super quiet. We're all on tune Somehow in the next 20 minute period, I had about 30 seconds where I goofed off with one of the other hunters and that rammed home the same lesson. Actually, I should have just reined in that impulse and really used that as a warning sign because usually when that goes on, it's when the deer are just there and they were and I missed them and I don't miss them normally and it really irked me. So that idea of immediate feedback on your mindfulness has real value. You don't get that if you sit down meditating, trying to do mindfulness separately. So the power of the complex activity that comes with hunting as a mindfulness delivery platform, I think, is very difficult to beat. Oh, yeah? You, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. The big guy, 15 metres behind Andy, puffing oh. and panting, following him up the hill, showed Andy the deer that he just walked past, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Which was a new experience for me because that doesn't happen. <laughs> and I was like, uh, oh my god, uh, here it is. <laughs> uh, we've we've been on other other trips uh, where you know we're sitting calmly under a tree just waiting for things to happen, and you've probably been watching a deer for ten minutes, and I didn't even know it was there. Um, I remember yeah, some of those. That's certainly an interesting aspect of it, where. I know, and I, I think about this a lot because I often hunt with a mate, you know, so there, there is that, that pairing up. And you will see something and it will, you know, it'll there it is. And you, you cannot explain to the other person what where this thing is. It's just like it's, you know, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's not geographical. It's not like, you know, you can explain it geographically. But that is not the issue. The issue is not the ge- it's not a geographic challenge. It must be something to do with where your head is at. You know, it must be something because you know you can say it's ten meters in front of you. You know, you, you basically give them a GPS coordinate where it is, but they cannot see it. But you, it is it is there illuminated in front of you. And there's other times, you know, when you're when you're when you're hunting and. Uh, uh, you recall some kind of input or learning, 
and you go and you and you almost lead off on that without thinking about it and it produces a result I, that and i'll give you an example of that two weeks ago we were crossing a little meadow that that drained it was basically drained into a, a, a dam that we found on this property and there was like a ragweed that was about you know uh, somewhere between knee and uh, waist high and we were walking through this ragweed and this voice of Ian said fallow like native timber and I turned to the native timber and that's where I missed that buck yep <laughs> it was just went, I just went I looked up and went fallow like native timber and sure enough, I walked into that native timber. So I was going through this ragweed and there was a native tin, timber stand. I turned that stand. That's where the fellow was. They were there and I missed him. Uh, you learned. Got one about an hour later, but that's what it was. It was like, I just, there was this thing that said, fellow like native timber. And, you know, and it, it was just this, I went, and I didn't even kind of think, it wasn't like this voice told me that there was, it was just like my brain said, fellow like native timber. Turn a native timber, and there was a fellow. And you get that all the time. You get this kind of input or recoil that says, "Do this," and it and it produces a result. Even if you actually never experienced it before, it seems to produce a result. Yep. So I have a similar to... experience. Sorry, Andy, I have, a, I have a similar experience in and around. You know, and Andy's talking about engaging all your senses, and I and I say this to new hunters when they're you know they're coming into it and you're trying to teach them what to look for and those sorts of things and that one is for me if it looks and it feels comfortable to you it's going to look and feel comfortable to the prey that you're chasing so if that's on a hot day and you find yourself a cool gully you know with a nice little breeze that's coming through they're going to feel that as well if it's a cold day and you found a sunny aspect they're going to feel that as well but how often you go down in this all of a sudden everything's perfectly still and nice and comfortable and the light is soft and it's easy on the eye and all of those sorts of things you can bet your balls there's going to be animals in there yeah. uh, and on the same someone told me that and i've always been walking up on that situation you go oh hang on a minute this just feels right that's all of that going on in your head and that doesn't escape me no it has real value but that that thing that we talked about right back at the start of the switching between the sides of your brain, that's what that is. So that right-hand side of your brain is taking in your environment as a whole and the left side with that space that it's created there is processing what you know. And as you go hunting and you learn to listen to that little voice of intuition or whatever you wish to call that, that actually has good overlap into what we should be doing in our other parts of it, in other parts of our life, but we constantly ignore that. So we should learn to listen to that confident voice in your head that says, the deer like native timber, we should look at that. Absolutely you should. And the more time you spend giving your brain the space it needs to do what it needs to do, the better and more attuned you get to listening to it tuning out the stuff that's no good like that's a bit hard but that's what mindfulness is all about it actually gives you an opportunity to say if i'm spending time looking at what can't be changed things that make me upset that i'm thinking about from home or in the office or whatever when i'm out hunting learning to go well that's okay to have those things 
I'm doing this now and staying attuned to this, that actually gives your brain the time to process that other information and give you the solutions. When we go looking for answers, sometimes you can't find them. And sometimes that's related to how your brain is functioning at the time. But what you guys have both just identified is that when you are doing this activity, you become attuned to taking notice, that's what mindfulness is about, of what's going on and listening to what your instincts are saying. That's really important. It, it, it's really interesting what you just said and, and what what I've one of the things I've been I've thought about for a long time is that whilst we do a, as a hunter you do a lot of very um, overt and planned activities so you know you you, you get you know you, as you, as you get older you get better gear you get more experience you go to the range you do lots of things you become better attuned to understanding the, the movement of game. If you hunt an area long enough, you get to understand the actual, you know, the actual seasonal components of where you're at and what effect that it has. You, we do all these activities and we all, all these, these combination of activities. But the reality is there is a component of hunting that we have no control over. And that's the game itself. And I sometimes think that whilst it doesn't sound right to, in, in, from, a, from face value, in a way the animals are smarter than us because they're attuned to existence. And when we go in there, we've got so much baggage with us, you know, it gets in the way to that attuning, you know, a deer doesn't decide or, you know, a deer doesn't have these kind of questions about, you know, you know, what, what, are the, what, are the, what did the other deer mean two weeks ago when it said that thing that kind of hurt my feelings and so now I've been thinking about that for the last two weeks. That's not on, that's not there. What is there is this animal that is, that has from its, from its inception been concerned with being prey. And so, animals don't animals don't care whether they wake up tomorrow, right? They're all about now and comfort <laughs> and those. And I say that to you know, it's completely you know sidetracked. But you know, when people are talking about dogs and they get you know family dogs and they they're unwell and when do I put my dog down and when do I make the call? Well, you know, dog, dogs don't go through their lives trying to understand or like trying to be the oldest dog in the world or live to a ripe old age. They just want to feel as good or better than yesterday. That's and if right. you've got to make a call for it to go to sleep feeling fantastic, then you know you've done, you've done a good thing for that dog before it gets unwell. Um, I wonder if what you were talking about, though, and um, you could be stabbing in the dark here, is because that deer or prey or the things that we're talking about don't go through life thinking about yesterday or tomorrow or the argument that I just have, are they always in the state of mindfulness? Are they always connected? And yeah. Because they are so in tune with every sense they've got. Yes, because they have to be, right? They want to reproduce and they want to make more young. And next week, they want to make more young. Because who knows when it'll be their last time of making more young. They want to pass on their DNA and they want to get it done as soon as they can, as quickly as they can, as often as, as they can. That's what it's all about. So you're actually talking about engaging with life. Yeah. Well, Hunting well, makes think... you engage with life. Yes, it does. And, it, 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 and I, all aspects of it. That's, that, that's, a, that's a quote there, isn't it? 
because yeah. well, there's a quote that we were talking about just a second ago with animals that it, that comes to my mind by D.H. Lawrence, I think it was, and it's something like a, 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 a I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A, a small yeah. bird will drop frozen dead from a bra without ever having felt sorry for itself. Yep. And I'm trying to get my, you know, mushy, feel sorry for myself, worrying about, you know, should I buy a new vehicle in the next year or the year after for tax considerations. I'm trying to get that brain in competition with an animal that's never felt sorry for itself. <laughs> and it's almost in a way, it's it, it's almost in a way, you know, it's an unfair advantage, you know. Oh. And, you know, it's it, it the, the way that it looks at the world and the way that I look at the world, I have to realise, I think, and that's one of the things you have to realise about hunting is that you have to actually become more that way in tune rather than than the other way. You've got to you've got to use your human components to their best ability. And in that situation, it's not about a bigger picture. The big picture is beforehand. When you're there, it's a collapse of that picture. You got not tunnel vision because tunnel vision can actually cause you to see one deer but not see the others, but it's somehow it's collapsing that into a, a point of focus. And I suppose, and when when I was listening to your description of mindfulness, that's what it is. And it, it's this point of focus that you can't, you're either there or you're, you're not there. And if you're not there, you know, it's pure luck. You know, you'll, you may stumble on, on, across something, but, you know, if you're not there, the chances are that you will stumble on something are very, very limited. You're right. The idea that hunting makes, even though the perception of hunting is about taking a life, that's misguided. It's actually about engaging fully with life. That animal, like you said, it's a prey animal. They exist in a place where things eat them and we're not necessarily a prey animal regularly but i guess we would be in some circumstances but tuning your senses into hunting actually has real value for us and engaging at that really primal level where you take notice of the change of the wind and what scent that brings it's really has real value so i i feel reasonably lucky my nose works really well so on hunts i've been on i've walked across a wind and got a nose full of an animal that might be 100 metres away, I'm going to turn into that wind and I'm going to go and find out what that is. And regularly, I'm successful based on my nose. That's not unheard of. Lots of people do that. But as I've hunted, I've gotten better at making sure I don't ignore what my nose is telling me because it has such positive outcomes. So you're right. They do have a good advantage. They are living in that space. They are very familiar with that space and their senses are so much better than ours that we have to really get on board as quickly as we can to take in all of that information and use our advantage, which is processing information, making a connection between one thing and another. That's where our strength lies. That's why people adapt. That's why humans are so successful. Our brain is good at making a link between A and B and C, which is not seemingly related, but we get there and we solve issues that way. That's what we get out of. So it's it's almost uh, this has just come to me. Um, 
and I, I, I can't explain how much I'm enjoying this conversation. The a deer is a prey animal, and it's existed. Its whole existence is a, as a prey animal. So it looks at the world from the point of view of a prey animal. So if you want to be a successful hunter, you need to start looking at the world as a predator because that's what you are. You've got to and be. That's okay. That, well, that's it. That, that, it it's <laughs> not even. There's not even an okay or not okay component to this. This is a, this is this is not a uh, you know this, there isn't a, a greatness here. If you want to be successful as a hunter, you have to allow yourself to be the predator that you are. Because if you think about it from a binary point of view, you are predacious. You, you know you've got the, the the position of your ears, the position of your eyes. You know we are in, in the animal kingdom. You know we are the tortoise. Everything else is the hare. But the thing is, we're a very smart predacious tortoise so you know we'll figure out you know we'll figure these things out so but i think that's what what this you know are, are we getting to that conclusion that if you want to be a hunter and you want to be successful and in fact you might want to carry that feeling of success to other things the the, the acceptance that you are predacious that you're a predator is probably a big part of that yep so let's talk about that and expand that a little bit because it, it's worth unpacking so new hunters who are perhaps not young, but over their 25th birthday, for instance, who are developing an interest in hunting may not be secure in their own emotion or <clears throat> conviction that they'll be able to carry out the actual killing act when hunting. So that is a decision point for that person, whether or not they're actually going to take that animal's life and then turn it into food. So for someone on that journey of growth and development, hunting presents you an opportunity to reflect on your motivation on why are you doing this? What are you hoping to get out of killing that animal? When you've done that, if you choose to go ahead and do that, what are you going to do with it next? So there's a bunch of ethical considerations, there's a bunch of maturity considerations, there's a bunch of decision points that go into the cognitions that get you to the point where you are willing or not willing to take that animal's life. So that reflection on your emotion and your motivation, even if you never end up shooting an animal for food or trophy or whatever, even if you don't do that, you get to the cusp of that and pull back, that still has value because you've reflected on your own existence and your motivations and your, your emotional development can only be improved from that reflection. No matter what you're saying is no matter where you're at, that's a learning experience. Even Absolutely. If the, even if the learning is that you know uh, maybe I'm not predacious, that's a learning experience. Yep. And it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, a number of people over the years have said, look, I want to go hunting, I want to try hunting. And, and the, the first thing I say, you know, and they want to talk about – gear and where we're going to go and things like that and, and allow them the conversation to flow and the first question i ask you are you are you comfortable killing something and if they go oh i'm not sure i said it's probably not the place to find out then you know you it, it, it you need to give that consideration if you, where you want to find that question out because you don't want to find that question out after you've shot you, no. you, you need to know that the answer to that question before you get in that place because you can't take it back. No. And even though that's true, if you do find yourself in that situation, actually there's more to be gained out of that. 
it has value, sure, you're going to reflect on that. And that might be a decision maker for you that you'll never, ever, ever hunt again. And that's fine. Going through in your life from that point forward, it doesn't all have to be bad. It actually can be really good that you've worked that out and you might feel bad about taking an animal's life or, you know, whatever. If you have someone with you who is mentoring, they're going to make sure that A, that animal's not wasted because <laughs> that's what I'd be doing and making sure that that person can talk through that situation because that that's not lost then. It's not a total loss. It's actually a, 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 an opportunity to get some gain despite the difficulty of that emotion that might arise. It's an interesting... That no, look, that's an interesting... That's an interesting... Um, that, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I suppose from a personal point of view, I probably have wanted them to make that decision beforehand because I might not want to be in the the, the, the position to have that conversation with them after yeah. they found out, you know? Yeah, that's it's right. A, and I, really I totally agree. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, that, that, it, it, I can see that, you know, look, the reality is if you're out with someone hunting and they shot an animal and the animal went down and, you know, or or even the person they were with, uh, it wasn't a clean shot and, and the person with them, you know, dispatched it, the actual suffering and all that would be minimised. Um, there would still be obviously opportunities from a hunting point of view for meat, but I suppose from my point of view, I, I always looked at it and I didn't think about those things, but uh, what I, because I didn't think that was the challenge. I suppose I saw the challenge of how would you have that conversation with someone in that setting once they've made that startling realisation that they didn't want to do that after it's done. That would be, I, I suppose from my point of view, I thought that would be a tough conversation to be having. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would mentor or have mentored 10 to 15 new hunters a year. Mm. Right? Um, so I've been in a really great situation to be able to do that. And never has that situation happened. Mm. Right? I've been in more than one occasion where we've had a fantastic hunt, an excellent stalk. We've lined up on the animal and the hunter has said, I'm not going to do this. Right, That's happened. And we've mm. certainly had a conversation after that's happened. Um, and that's positive. That's fine. If they're not comfortable with it, I don't feel like I've missed out on an opportunity because I wasn't the hunter. Right. If you're with a group of people and you're all just trying to get an animal and he takes the lead and he doesn't do it and the group misses out, I can see that some people might you know, be a bit upset by that. But in a mentor-mentee situation, it doesn't work that way. I've never been concerned about that. The other point that I'll make is never – it's interesting. You talk about the videos and, you know, you see stuff and it's sensationalised. You know, we're talking about food before and hunting videos and whatever. I've also never been in a situation where a hunter has worked – you know, they all worked hard enough to get to the animal to start with. A new hunter takes their first deer and not one of them has got up hooting and hollering. Almost every single one of them to a man has put their head down and gone, holy shit, that just happened. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, that just happened. So the opportunity for a mentor to talk to a mentee and talk through what they're dealing with. And look, I'm not... I'm not the softest bloke in the world and I'll slap you on the back and, you know, well done and all those great things. But um, I'll also ask you how you're feeling like, yep. because usually they then go into a, a bit of a, a state of shock and they start to realise what's gone on. 
And if you're there to talk to them about it, they generally get through it pretty well. And I think the, then the process and care of taking that animal, prepping it, spending quite a few hours getting that thing ready to go home in an esky, on ice, broken down. Um, they see the care that goes into the animal after it's been taken. And I think that helps them rationalise it. There's a really good point that you're making there, Ian, that I actually have written down in my, you know, massive notes here. It's part of my, you know, selling point for why hunting is important, particularly for, for younger hunters or younger men, is that when, if I say the words buck fever, you guys are going to know what that is because you go hunting and you get excited by the opportunity and the, the physiological reaction that you have when things get exciting. So if you'd looked at, if you did your, your MRI of your brain when someone is dead set anxious versus excited versus angry, the MRI is going to tell you the same picture. They're the same things physiologically. Emotionally, they're very different. So when you take your new hunter and you are mentoring them, going through that process of delivering an opportunity with them to get excited, they're going to have that first surge of adrenaline when they see that animal. They're going to get nervy, excited, shaky, feeling stressed in a positive way when they're lining up to take that shot. With a mentor, that opportunity is a golden opportunity to talk someone through what it's like to deal with panic. It's the same physiology. So you get that benefit of examining this emotion and the physiology of what it feels like with the voice of experience in your ear saying, take a breath, pick a point on that animal, aim small, miss small, go through the process, are you ready? <sighs> it's okay. And then when you do take that shot, having that voice of reason and experience to say, actually, that was really good, really well done. How's it feel? Like those are really awesome things to hear from someone who does mentoring because that's one of the biggest benefits that a younger hunter is going to take away from a successful, when I say successful in this context, I mean a, a time where they get to take a shot, that as a younger man who may also have anxiety or anger, having someone who can talk you through the physiology of that is a really nice delivery of saying, well, actually, you can now manage what it feels like to get upset in this angry. really positive way. Not by going out shooting, but actually just going through that process of slowing down your breathing, taking that shot, sitting with it until you're ready. Mm. So you can oh, see oh, when I talk about mental health, the flow and effects are clear mm. there. Yeah, that's right. So if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that that, that process is in, in that particular situation. It's about hunting, but in terms of a control process, it, it has a, a, a benefit well beyond being in a hunting situation. It's any it's it's in a situation where you're at for whatever reason you're at a heightened state of emotion. It's the same That's control right. again. You're That's saying right, that, it's a really uh, interesting if point. If I'm about to blow my lid at someone for whatever, I just need to go through my shot routine. That's right. The right. Yes. Yes. That is a fantastic, you know, because yeah, that's a, that's really interesting because so that's what I get to say. You know, the idea of using mindfulness in such a positive and beneficial way, all the way down to here's what these serious things feel like under this 
situation. And a psychologist is going to call that controllable incongruence, right? That's what the term is. So you have this thing that doesn't make any sense because it's not actually real anger. It's actually excitement. It feels the same, but and it's safe. So you can, if you learn to manage that well, when you feel yourself elevated in other circumstances, doing your shot routine, <laughs> great, bring it right down. Say mm -hmm. something sensible instead of something you don't really mean because you're upset. Yeah, it's, that's, that is really quite something, isn't it? Um, I, I agree with you, Ian. Like I've, I've mentored a, a number of people. And in fact, that, you know, I, I know I, I've helped a number of people take their first animal. And I can't think of anyone who is overly, you know, excited in in the typical kind of thing you see in a video production you know it it's it's actually it's not solemn but it's again i think it, what happens is it's the seriousness of it is is tends to you know take over and i uh, I, I think a lot of people you know it's and some guys have said you know job done type thing i you know very very few words but very very calm or you know not even calm, like a, a a calmness about them, the fact of what they did. Um, so that's quite an interesting way to think about it. I, and I, I tell you, I really like that idea of get angry, think about your shot routine. Because <laughs> you think about, I'm I I don't know about you, but uh, you know, and I, I almost have a difficulty of thinking about what happens when I take a shot. You know, that's the difficult thing I find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, people say, so what happens when you take a shot? And I said, well, I there's remember. a period of time there that I can't actually explain what happens. Don't remember the noise. I, I can, can't remember I, the, the impact. I, I don't remember I any of that stuff. It's in pieces for you to explain it. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, you kind of go from not ready to scope rifle up fire animal down is kind of this it's this this period of time where there isn't any kind of overt thinking in fact you know that's i think that's what actually you know i say to people don't overthink it because that's actually when when it, when you can you can you know you can miss the shot when you're thinking too much about the shot yeah. um oh, whatever sure. you know, that shot routine, I can't actually explain my shot routine, and that's one of the difficult things I find when I when I when I engage with new people who 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 hunt or who want to learn how to shoot. I'm not a bad shot. I'm you know I, I I'm a competent shot. Um, but when I help people learn to shoot, I actually don't teach them how I shoot because I don't think I can actually physically or uh, you know explain how i shoot it, it's kind of like i can't actually think about that but i can i know the mechanics of a shoot you know how, i know mean, the mechanics of how to take a good shot i know that the the structure and all that and i talk about the structure but if they ask me so how do you shoot i go i'm not sure i can actually explain that to you because it's it's you know i i don't think about that myself overtly and i know that may be not a great thing but i don't overtly think about what happens in that process I can explain it to you from a, you know, a, a, um, a, a like a checkpoint type of idea or a, a process point of view. But do I follow that process? Is that what I actually do? I'm not actually sure if I could tell you that or not. And did you watch that Joel Turner video? Not yet. It's it's on uh, the list. Yeah, take the shot with control, no matter what. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's yeah. certainly it's in the head. I see it every day. 
Yeah. Mm. Uh, before we switch to topics, if you want to see a video of some crazy loon hooting and hollering because he managed to shoot a deer, <laughs> that's my YouTube video. Andy standing next to me in New Zealand. And it, it, I wasn't hooting and hollering because I shot a deer. I was hooting and hollering because the trip was just so amazing and so successful, uh, and that was just a part of it. But um, I looked like the biggest gumboot you've ever seen on a video because uh, I was elated at that point for all of us. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Switching topic. Again. It was great. It was a great. It was a very, very good experience. And I think that's um, important. So if you do hoot and holler, that's what you do. But um, I, I you know normally don't, mate. I'm not that yeah, guy. Yeah, well, but that's it. That I know that um, you know, I I I, I certainly feel I feel a sense of elation when I've I've helped people do that. And in fact, again, in that idea of the progression as, as a hunter is that I probably at times feel more elation when I when that works out for someone else than I do for myself. Um, it's you know at, at a certain level it's 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 not it's not that it um, disconnected to it but I have a certainly a different feeling when I do it when I see someone else achieve it that's certainly a, you know and it, that that's a big there's actually a little video that I, I put together um, with a friend you know and after he's taken the shot you know we're, we're just joking and it, and I'm I'm really happy that he's put that together you know I'm, I'm happy that it's worked out for him um, so yeah, that, that's it's it's an interesting, an interesting combination of emotions and approaches that we're talking about. We, who would have thought that going out and chasing deer would be so complicated? <laughs> yeah, but that's think right. about it too much. <laughs> what happened? I thought I was doing it to get away from it all, but hang on. What I'm doing is I'm pursuing it all. I'm trying to get it all together. Yes. <laughs> And I guess that's the thing, right? So taking that idea of spending time looking to the future, but that's a key element of good mental health. If you are making plans, you're in a good space. If you've got something to look forward to, you're in a good space. If you're learning something new, you're in a good space. So if you're keeping physically fit and hanging out, hanging out outside with friends, you're feeling connected to others, you're in a good space. So all of those, if you read any kind of thing about mental health and how we implement better mental health in our community, those things are all on the list of how to do it. Hunting gives you that. Wow. That, that's, a, that's, that's a really insightful way to, to look at it, isn't it? We, to think that Nundle Deer Camp was actually, you know, it's that valuable for you. Where I, thought it just, I thought it was just a good laugh. Um, yeah, so ah, it, it is that too. <laughs> and you were saying, talking about uh, uh, moving to another topic. I, I think one of the great strengths of what we've discussed tonight is that, is that for I, I know, I know, it's, you know, this is only talking for myself, but I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people. Is that what you've des described is giving a name to what a lot of people feel? Yep, that's you right. Know, People, you know, you, you, this is asking someone why they hunt is an incredibly difficult, well, it's not a hard question to ask. It's an incredibly difficult answer to get any kind of answer out of because, you know, some yep. people just kind of go, uh, or we say these kind of throw line lines, oh, yeah, I do it for the food or, you know, um, and not to say that none of those things are important. They are, but you kind of have a feeling that for a lot of people that just, that's just allows them to describe it rather than actually answer it you know yep. I, and i often think that's some of the 
one of the problems we get into when we we proactively try to promote hunting is that we try to find a reason that's kind of um, sensible, you know, like, oh, it's good for the environment, we're reducing the, you know, we kind of go through all those kind of things. And most of us kind of go, yeah, I do those things, but that's not why I'm there. You know, Sorry, I'm not... Minutes. I'm not, I'm not being you, and I'm not, I'm not a wildlife warrior. I might be a wildlife warrior, but that's not what I'm thinking I am. I'm not that. I'm actually, if you want to kind of rip this all away, I'm a hunter, and I'm yep. doing what hunters do, and that's how I hunt. And yes. I think that's a really, you know, it, it's hard to actually describe that, but some of the things that you've spoken about, I think, describe that, especially, that, you know, that idea of that um, it brings everything together for you rather than give you um you know uh a thought pattern that you can't answer it actually provides you with a hell of a lot of answers because it brings out everything together and what was it you called it is when you bring both sides of the brain together oh you mean when they function individually or like separately no lateralization like lateralization when you actually yeah they you you kind of you're using the both sides for what their their, their design purpose are yeah um uh, in a in a real situation rather than a uh, you know an opaque made up situation like that's a right. simulation that's right for me if you want to be a, a, a psychologist who does psychological interventions for people there is a space for people who want to sit on a couch and talk about stuff go for it for some people that's what they've got that's what works no worries that's not me it doesn't work for me I can do it as a job and I'll be successful for some of those people, but taking that opportunity and delivering it outside in a manner that gives us all of the benefits of hunting without necessarily hunting for mental health purposes, that's where the action is for me. I enjoy that process of getting someone to the point where they are competently able to find their way through the scrub look at things, see things they couldn't see before, teach them how to use their eyeballs properly, teach them how to get their ears tuned in, get them to the point where they can actually engage well with the environment, probably for some people the first time ever. Seeing that, you know, you have that, that saying where people can't see the forest for the trees. So when you go hunting, heaps of people look at trees. You gotta teach your brain to let your eyes slide past the obvious and to see past all of that. And that takes a bit of time and skill and awareness. So that building of that, like that's an opportunity for people. And it's the same thing. Like if you're going to be stuck in a room doing psychology practice with someone, like that's really limiting, I think. This is an opportunity to take it all outside and get the benefit because your brain is more receptive. You ever been hunting with someone who you knew was having some sort of issues at home, but they won't talk about it? You put them in a situation where they're engaged properly with their environment. They don't shut up. <laughs> they just talk. To, and they I was talk about to say there has to be a conversation um, <laughs> in the next round of this where we talk about the campfire itself because, you know, in, in, in this pursuit, all different people from all walks of life, you know, even in our little close circle, you know, your profession, my profession, you know, we've got people that are in the medical, we've quite a few people that are in, in health, actually. 
Um, and then you've got, you know, some some truck drivers and you've got some mechanics and you've got people like that. Um, but when they're in the bush, you know, when they've got their cams on or when they've finished their hunt and we're sitting around a campfire and we're having a beer or whiskey or a cup of tea, it doesn't matter, and the lights are dim, um, what your social stature was in your other life doesn't mean shit over here. Well, that's it. You know, well, it's look, all laid a bit bare. The deer don't care. The deer don't care. And no, that's it. But, I think that's what it is. The, the interesting thing you said there about the fact that, you know, they don't, some people don't shut up, I, I think about that because I hunt, you know, um, I hunt with a lot of different people and, you know, and a lot of people you, you meet are, 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 are dealing with challenges, you know, in their, in, uh, I wouldn't say they have mental health issues, but they're dealing with, with issues around mental health or, or issues that are associated with mental health. And some won't shut up to the point where you go, mate, you've got to shut up, okay? Everything, right. Everyone can hear you. Everything can hear you. You've got to stop talking, okay? Which is okay because you kind of just go, mate. But I know that other people, um, I've seen it with other people, if they aren't able to let that go, it actually basically wrecks their, wrecks their time. And I, I've always wondered that, like, and you, you'll have experienced this, Ian, some people turn up to go hunting and they never come back. And I wonder if 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 what happened was they weren't in the right headspace and the, and the natural world said, sorry, no free ride here. And they went, okay, I'm, I, I'm not I'm not supposed to be there. There's a, you know, there's a couple of people I know who just, or more than a couple, who come and they've gone, and it's 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 not it's too hard for them in a way. And I want you wonder, is it the where where they're where they're at in their headspace? It's it's not it hasn't helped them concentrate. It's actually you know it's actually kind of set up a, a flag for them to say you're not right. You know it's a test, and this is telling you, as you said before, you know that the learning experience is. You need to have a better headspace if you want to have a crack at this because you're not in the right headspace. There's there's something there's something in that, and I think that one thing that people who are dealing with challenges or not dealing with challenges but are resilient and are able to sit with their thinking, actually that's what it is. Some people can't sit with their thinking. Yes. Hunting and spending time in that environment, whether you're hunting or taking photos or just bushwalking or whatever, if your brain has its opportunity, it's going to do thinking. And if you are not able to guide your attention to stay focused on what you're doing, your brain is going to deliver your story to you over and over and over. So sitting with your own thinking actually has real value. We need to be able to do that. If you are struggling you often can't do that, so you want to make it go away. So if, if, if you go hunting and you discover that you can't sit with your thinking, you're not going to go hunting again. Yeah, I think that's, it, that's a good way to describe that, that idea of sitting and going thinking. The way I, I describe it professionally is like I'll be working with a client and, you know, they're kind of going over a series of bad decisions and, and I'll say to them, you know, if you make a good decision, do you listen to yourself? And they say, yep. And I said, if you make a bad decision, do you listen to yourself? And they kind of go, no, I try to 
get back to the good decision. I said, well, think about it this way. One is evidence of, of, of an outcome. The other is evidence of the outcome. One evidence you're accepting, one evidence you're, you're not accepting, but it's still evidence, you know. If you make a decision, it's the bad outcome, that's evidence. You need to be able to deal, and as you said, as you described, you need to be able to sit with that and kind of go, that's evidence. I need to accept it as evidence and move from that point rather than kind of re find some way to reevaluate that evidence to turn it into a positive rather than say, okay, that evidence is telling me the, the reality of the situation. And maybe that's what it is that they're not, they can't deal with the evidence that that's being presented in front of them. Mm. The natural yeah, world is saying, the natural world is presenting them with evidence and they're going, yeah, I don't like that evidence. I want to think about it some other way. And no, it's, it's, it's there, you know? Yes, uh, it's an interesting. <laughs> I'm just going to. Yeah, I think, I think that's it. I think I think we've got a couple more sessions here, but let let let's for this one. Let's think about how do we, uh, you know, let's let's kind of close tonight on on the idea of the the value of that campfire and what that provides. Yeah, so I, something I was quite keen to get out um, yep. that'll lead into that, and that's we have a lot of people come to the so the 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 ada you know is a, is a great way for people to engage get together and, and do stuff um but i find a lot of people they they come to our branch to try and get an experience that they've heard of from somebody else you know so a friend of a friend will tell them about an amazing thing that we've done and they had a great time and they want to get a piece of that my work for example, is is very similar. I'll talk about what I've done on my weekend and people take me aside and say, man, if, if I could just get an experience like that in my life, I, I would be so happy. And they're not talking about the hunting. They're just talking about the experience itself. Yeah. So back to the point before about, you know, um, the right people in the right frame of mind and those that come up that really want to talk. I'm very careful now about asking what their motivations are when they want to join, because I reckon more of them don't want to hunt, but they want an adventurous pursuit and they want some men's camaraderie. They want some time to talk to blokes. Um, they might not voice that straight away, but man, some of these trips we go on, there's a lead up to it around fitness and what have you. And we might start climbing tabletop mountain and Toowoomba every morning, you know, leading up to it. And man, someone I've never even met before came along on those. And within two trips up and down the hill, they were spilling everything that was going on in their lives. They, they just wanted someone to talk to. And that, I find that really interesting. Mm. What I found most interesting though, is the campfire leading into that as a, as a bit of a conversation when the, the light is dull and people have, you know, they're back from whatever they're doing and they're relaxing. And, you know, that three-day effect you spoke about, it might not come out on the first day, but I guarantee that you're knowing a whole lot more about the group that you're with on day three because mm. you have some very interesting conversations. And people come along to those and, and at the end of it, they go, man, it was that, that was almost my favourite part of the trip, sitting around the campfire with the guys because they got to, to air some of the things that were going on in their lives and they got to realise that they were pretty normal because everyone else had similar stuff going on. Yes. We're all blokes of our current you know, age and and that's what happened. But um, it'd be good to understand more about that, Andy, and, and, and why that happens in that scenario and, and not in others and, and how helpful that is for, for fellas. Yeah, so, I think it's a really good point, mate. I, I, I think that is that, that you know, that 
it's not just about the campfires that that moving towards what that is and what that that uh, that means for people that they're, they're moving towards this thing uh, i know that for instance days I, I haven't been in nundle for a long time i haven't been in nundle since my you know since well not my kids were born but um i haven't had cassette school holidays and it's just a bad time of the year for me to be away but when i used to, when i the first times i went to nundle i went for about four or five years in a row there was a guy used to come local. He was from Scone. He was the local. And he used to bring his son. And he didn't hunt. He used to just bring with him. And he, he, he said to me, I just bring my son so my son can be around. Yeah, he can be in this environment. Um, and, you know, he said, I want to be in this environment, but I also want my boy to be exposed to this environment because this is not happening in my, you know, it's not happening in our, you know, uh, our life back at Scone type thing. Or wherever it was, and I, and I thought that was, you know, uh, that was really, um, it was eye-opening that he would kind of go, he would do that because he saw the value in what was happening there. Um, and I remember one time I was, <laughs> here's the joke part of it. I was, I was, I was um, fleshing out a pig skull, and I was, I was talking to the young guy, the son, about it as I was doing it. So I was showing him how to do it, and. I, and I, I hit three fingers with the knife and I opened myself right up and I just looked at him and went and said, yeah, just, just don't worry about that, mate. And I just, you know, just, just stood there. I sat there on the log for a couple of minutes just with my fist closed, blood pouring out of it. I just go, what's your dad up to? You go, come on, you go see what your dad's up to. You know, you just, Let me swear in the corner. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, mate. Just kept the conversation going as me, my fingers are hanging off. But yeah, it was interesting you know, that he would he saw the value in that for his his kid. And you know, it was every he he would he would I think he used to tie in with Adrian. He literally say, "Look, you know, when are you guys going to be there? Because that's when we'll come." And I, I was always really impressed that that's what he wanted to do, and that was the value he got out of that. And he, you know, and he didn't know the he didn't have a conversation with everyone, and uh, the rest of the year it was just that time that he would go and meet these guys from Queensland and, and sit around the campfire with them. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, and I tell you another interesting thing that really throws me about the campfire for. A, a number of years I used to be a venture leader. So, um, you know, kids between 14 and 18. And um, just here at the, just here in the local area. And, you know, I live in the Gap, so we've got lots of scrubland around. And all those kids wanted to do was light fires and sit around and talk because they had busier lives than most adults. You know, like Monday was ballet and Tuesday was cello and Wednesday was debating society and Thursday was the environment club so friday was ventures where they used to go down and which was run by the crazy bloke who used to like lighting fires and they and I, they you know we when you go to through scouting they kind of you know talk about lesson plans and all this stuff and so i got there and we'd had the flag ceremony we raised the flag and i said what are you doing they go one of the fires off you go and they just those literally light fires and talk to each other around the fire for three and a half hours because we used to go to a from a, from seven thirty to eleven, and they would just sit there and talk to themselves. And they were kids at sixteen, 
because um, they just wanted to be in that environment. So it's an interesting concept. It is actually. So you said scouts, so they were blokes? Uh, no, um, girls Next. and guys. So yep. Ventures is, was, um, well, Scouts itself is now um, uh, open. Uh, whatever. Open to both girls and boys, and Ventures is young, young, young women and young men. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and, yeah and, and both. There wasn't a, you know, both the young women and the young men wanted to, wanted to light a fire, mm -hmm. look at it for about half an hour, and then just start talking about stuff. Yep. So that's a big topic, and I think I have information that might help understand why that's so. Because, you know, why is it so is a good question to ask. And I really only came across a fairly, so I, I guess, a firm answer for that today. <laughs> So I'm not across it yet, but I get the idea and it's related to the same thing that goes on when you go hunting with your eye movement. But the idea of that nice feeling that you get after spending a couple of days hunting with fellas and sitting around that campfire towards the end of the sort of hunt or whatever, it, you're right. Something goes on there for us that feels good. It's a nice thing to do. And people do tend to talk and disclose and feel relaxed. I would suspect that there's a fair bit of neurological activity there that's influenced by our hormones, things like serotonin and other neurochemicals that are at play that help us feel content, safe, connected to other people. You remember earlier on I said things like when you activate the right side of your brain positively, you have greater feelings of empathy. You feel more connected to others. One other part to that that makes sense that's also true is that when your right side of your brain is stimulated in that way, it makes you more open to different opinion. So you're more likely to learn or take a perspective of someone else when you're in that state. So your ability to relate to others is less guarded. So it actually, research would say that that is really positive, particularly for men who may or may not have more guarded sort of engagements with others through the course of their normal life. Does that make sense? So that post-activity lull in heightened sort of guardedness could be really easily explained by neurochemicals and that idea that our brain is more receptive to other people's opinions about things. We learn more. We're open to others more in those circumstances. Coupled with the idea of what the firelight's doing and what your eyes are doing when it's looking at the fire, I think there's a, I need to understand that part better because there's something in that that I think I need to learn more about based on science, not just gut feeling. Well, Cormac McCarthy said the flames, no, I remember this one, I had to look it up. The flames soared in the wind and the embers paled and deepened, paled and deepened like a blood beat of some living thing. By the way, Cormac McCarthy doesn't use punctuation, so this is one long sentence. Things that eviscerate upon the ground before them and they watch the fire which does contain with it something of men themselves in so much as they are less without it and divided from its origins and our exiles. 
for each fire is all fires and the first fire and the last ever to be. Probably written by a fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'd have to read that two or three times to get oh, yeah, to read that about a thousand and a half times, mate. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's one of the things about McCarthy's books. But that was it. The idea that this idea that when you look into a fire, you're looking into the first fire as well as the last fire, it's an internal thing. So is that why, you know, we call it the bush TV and all that thing when you're looking at it, you're looking at something. So isn't that the idea then that we actually feel really connected to who we are and where we come from Yes. in that moment? And that sense of connection actually, to take it back, is also an indicator of good mental health. If you feel connected to who oh. you are, it doesn't get any better. So, or even you feel connected to things that are beyond you. Yeah. Yep. I heard, I heard that when I go hunting and I immerse myself in nature and I feel like I've been successful, that I'm a nicer bloke to everybody else. Yes. Because I, because I can hear and I'm more open to what it is that, that they're going through. Uh, so <laughs> I should hunt often and maybe I should talk. Yeah. So I suppose to bring tonight's um, conversation to a close, but by no means close uh, the invitation for you to return, Andy, and I think that's um, that's uh, you, that's almost going to be a standing order now. Um, you, you know, it's like the Vegas show, mate. You're booked out for the next five years. Um, so in that, I think what it, the rambling conversation that we've managed to to cobble together here tonight, if I was to surmise it, is that whereas we tend to look at um, outdoor activity as being a you know a, a singular thing, what you've almost said is that that hunting in itself is this combination of so many parts of your of your brain. So it's not you you know you don't hunt from one part of your brain. In fact, what you're doing is you're hunting from all parts of your brain. And that's why you get that feeling that's almost indescribable when you hunt because it might be the few times in your life when all these things are actually firing together as they should do. And you might it, it kind of makes you, I suppose, wonder, you know, did more primitive times actually have a, a much clearer and a happier brain than we have today because they were kind of in this space more often. So certainly from me, you know, this has been a, a really eye-opening thing. So I, I, I suppose I'll throw it over to you to, to bring this to a close. Is there anything you'd like to close with or any other snippet of information you can drop that'll keep me up tonight while I'm trying to think about what you meant? So <laughs> let's hear oh, it. Look, okay. There is, there is actually one thing that I didn't talk about at all tonight, and that's there's a heap of research about the benefits to your executive function. So spending time in a natural setting, whether you're hunting, bushwalking, taking photos, whatever, it's restorative to your decision-making. So there's this theory called attention restoration theory, and it's actually very interesting. And the premise would be that if you were working in a position where you were making a bunch of executive function decisions regularly, it depletes your ability. You get tired doing that. And what spending time in a natural environment does, even as little as 15 minutes, it restores that ability. So it means you're making better decisions. 
not necessarily hunting decisions or photographic decisions or your reason for being in nature, but actually complex decision making in your workplace will improve as a side effect, consequence, direct result of spending time in nature. And hunting does it better than the others as far as I can see. I could be wrong, but that's how it appears to me. Wow. So how do we um, get a um, an employment contract that has, you know, for the benefit of this organisation, I'm going hunting. <laughs> well, actually, I presented that to the CEO of the Toowoomba Hospital <laughs> and got approval. No, I didn't. I was joking. <laughs> it's all right. Last the benefits word. are many. The benefits are many, and we should all spend time outside physically moving around and engaging in that environment with intent to benefit from it because we will. I think that's that's not a bad place to end. Anything from you, uh, good Ian? I'll jump any of that. No, nope, I'm going to leave it as it is. I wrote down one thing. Um, hunting engages me with life, and uh, that might go on a T-shirt. Yep, it's a great, it it's a great statement that you, that you made earlier, and everything we've spoken about draws back to that. So. I've got it written down here, Ian. It's a snippet of, of truth out of a great big summary that I wrote a year ago. <laughs> so, no, that's awesome, mate. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I can't wait to have you back to, to have another round at this, or two more rounds at this at least. Um, I think everyone that listens to it will get a lot from it. So um, thanks again, and no we'll wrap it up tonight. And, yeah, uh, we'll talk to you all on the, on the next one. Radio, Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Bye, no worries.